Welcome to another episode of Spooning with Spoonies. I'm your host and fellow Spoonie, Noah Porton, and I'm just a girl trying to figure out how to date with chronic illness. I started this podcast to ask other single and coupled up Spoonies, as well as relationship experts, about their journeys and feelings navigating dating and relationships with chronic illness and disability. So come on this journey with me as we explore the essence of life. Relationships. Seeking connection is as human as it gets, and we all deserve to feel human. My conversation with today's guest was so juicy and soul-filling that I couldn't cut it down to just one hour. So this will be part one of a two-part episode with my insightful and goofy friend and fellow Lyme warrior, Jake Mayers. Jake is a musician who has been living with Lyme disease for about 13 years. He now documents the realities of living with Lyme on social media with the hopes of spreading messages of finding joy amidst great challenges. Him and his girlfriend Jess have such a fun and beautiful relationship, which you can follow on their joint Insta, Jake and Jess Vibe, and on their debuting YouTube channel. And in this episode, he shares with us why and how he opened up to the world about his illness and how that played a role in his ability to form such a strong connection with Jess so early on. So if you're ready, get comfy and let's get spooning. So how, how have you been? How's quarantine been and everything? Oh man, quarantine 2020. Uh, I started doing indoor walks for the first time about three nights ago, tracking it with Strava, working my way up to a mile without getting a headache from in circles. walking in circles. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, but um, in all honesty, like you could totally relate to this. And I'm sure you're the whole community, a lot of listeners that right now, how everyone's living is very similar to what it's like to live with a severe chronic illness, you know, and being homebound and having to cook your own meals and basically having to do, do the things that you need for your health versus being able to go out and do whatever you want, you know. Tell me a little, I know you, you're a drummer, right? I do that. Yes. Do you, um, are you like taking time off right now? Like, are you still drumming a little professionally? You could relate cause you're in a similar situation. It's so hard to hold a steady job or build a career or make a steady income when you're battling a chronic illness, like on the daily. So, um, I mean, to be honest for a while now, well over a year and a half, I've made a full commitment to like not stressing or worrying about work, putting it on hold and my work now being optimizing my health, you know, like doing whatever I can to get my health back. Um, so that's, I've been in that phase for a year and a half, similar to you, like before that hadn't really told many people and kind of kept it a secret and was actually working full time um managing experiential experiential events so i got to like travel every weekend and do these events and see different cities but i was doing that full-time then going back to vermont where i was getting ivs twice a week and like in the sauna four days a week i just got a diagnosis and also touring on the weekends playing shows so it was like crazy you know yeah um and it's actually really difficult to drop all that especially for like a type a personality or somebody who gets you know their value and satisfaction from accomplishing things everybody garners their self-worth from something and like I think for a lot of 
I think it's also like society and the way that we're like brought up and stuff. But um, I yeah, feel to like do, to achieve exactly why we we're taught to garner our self-worth from achievement from like school. Yes. I mean, think about like even just grades and stuff. Um, and then when you have literally every single thing that you garnered your self-worth from like stripped away, you're kind of left to build yourself up from nothing. And if you can like, yeah. if you can love yourself in that place where you don't have like that, those things to like lean on as crutches as like, Oh, I'm in a, you know, Oh, I'm doing this or I'm doing that when people it's like ask, resume like, surface level things. It's like, yes. these are things I'm doing that I could write down on a piece of paper. You know? Exactly. But if you can love yourself, then, then you're like good to go forever kind of thing, you know, hundred percent. I mean, I think that's at the crux of your whole podcast, it seems. And, of me being able to be in a successful relationship right now, you know, because, um, yeah, like, and I, I tell my girlfriend this all the time that like, I don't think not all the time, but I tell her, you know, <laughs> we talk about how it, this wouldn't have been possible. Like, you know, six months ago at this point, more like a year because I wasn't at that point yet. Um, where I, yeah, I was, I was, so you're right that you have all those things stripped away that you, derive your sense of accomplishment or achievement from and then basically I went on a journey of rewiring my brain to associate rest and healing as success yeah that was really hard to do but (laughs) I had to get to the point where like I could rest and I never liked resting I was such an active person it's miserable for me you know and I don't, it feels boring. Like it's boring just being by yourself, but I came to love it and come to, you know, accept myself on such a deep level and be able to love myself. Um, which put me in a position, position where then I can, you know, love my partner for sure. Mm-hmm. You said that you, um, you didn't really tell people about your, um, chronic illness, which is similar yeah. to me. So like, was it, um, did your, close friends know and like the people you were interacting with and like the people you were working with and it was just you kind of hadn't shared it on social media or you really just no one really fully knew really the latter nobody fully knew um actually recapped a whole part of my journey with my girlfriend last night because I had like a horrible dream about it um but just about basically I got sick when I was 15 I was fortunate enough to go to India but I got really sick from that, that I never really recovered from. And then later that year had a concussion snowboarding. That was pretty bad. That definitely compromised my immune system. I don't know exactly what time I picked up the line, but by that spring, um, I ended up in the hospital with viral meningitis. And (laughs) like two years ago, I looked back at my pediatrician's record and, and realized that it showed evidence of Lyme then. So, I'd had it since I was 15, but it went eight years after that undiagnosed for eight years. Every doctor I saw, um, was just, uh, it's probably a virus rest in fluids and it's an invisible disease. You know, I never really showed any outward symptoms until very acute critical moments where it was almost too late. You know, I mean, I didn't really even know, right. For eight years and went through, and I'm just such a positive, happy, energetic, engaged person that it made it that much more difficult for people to believe that I was sick until we had a diagnosis or any understanding, you know, and it wasn't until 2015, I had already, you know, battled through so much illness and graduated college and came back to Burlington, Vermont and started a full-time career, like at this marketing agency. Um, It wasn't until a year into that, that I saw 
an eyelids doctor in Vermont that finally got me a diagnosis. Um, and so I, I treated for two years while I was in Vermont and just kept it completely under the radar. I literally didn't tell anybody. I mean, one or maybe two of my closest friends slash family members, like my real inner circle knew, but for the most part, nobody really knew. So what was the reasoning um, behind not um, telling people? Because I think I was like really concerned that people would judge me or think differently about me or think lesser that I was capable of less. And on top of that, I didn't, I just didn't know how to communicate it. I didn't understand it myself on a level well enough that I was able to communicate it on top of which I didn't actually have the language to describe like, Hey, this is what I'm experiencing regardless of a label or anything, but like, Hey, this is what I'm going through on a day to day. Yeah. Um, were there times where you would like try to kind of like hide it and give excuses, you know, like I was the queen of that, like, um, Oh, you know, I would always tell people like, cause I, I wouldn't be like, Oh, I'm sick with like chronic illness. I would just be like, Oh, like I have the flu or whatever, or, um, just like so many like random and like weird. I think I told someone once that I had, um, my brother was getting toe surgery. So like I couldn't (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. So I couldn't go to there. Bro gets the toe surgery. I've used that one two or three times for sure. Really? No. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So did you feel like you were ever in that situation where you were having to, did you give any, like, have any, like, outrageous (laughs) excuses or, like, regular things you used to? Um, No, not really that I could think of, like, brother having a toe surgery, you know. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I think I just, I think I just rolled with it. Honestly, like just have spent so many years just like pushing through physical symptoms and what could be perceived as limitations or disabilities and just pushing through them and doing whatever I put my mind to getting in that kind of state, you know, Um, it's like a whole mind over matter thing. I honestly think it kind of dates back to even before I started struggling with illness I was diagnosed with dyslexia and I think there was a critical point where when you have a major difference or disability like that, people can make you feel lesser than, or, or, you know, like most people who have dyslexia who are in a regular school system fail because it's, it's not that they're dumb or anything. It's just that they have a different way of learning. They learn differently. Yeah. Right. So I had a critical point, like I failed kindergarten and my parents decided to put me into this school for dyslexic kids for my second year of kindergarten and I rolled into there and was taught to embrace these differences and that um to find outlets to deal with your frustrations related to them you know so why do you think that didn't really translate to being open about your illness and embracing that as a difference do you think that just came with time or yeah yeah Um, yeah it came with time like I was already doing that work of not letting it hold me back for years and embracing it, learning from it, pushing forward. But I wasn't doing the part where I was then communicating that with people. Yeah, a combination of time, like I said, knowledge of having the kind of language, um, coming to terms with it, understanding it. You know, I think a big the, the turning point for me when I really decided to start telling people about it was actually after I read um, Believe Me you know, Yolanda Hadid's book. I read that and it was just the first time I had heard somebody dis- like describe the physical sensations and experience related to chronic illness in layman's terms, just in a very easy to understand way. You know, th- just the way she described it, like talking about feeling like you've been 
thrown around in a dry cycle, you know, um, or the fatigue is so heavy that, you know, it's not like tired and you need to sleep, but it feels like the earth is pulling you down from the core. Like it was a couple sentences and paragraphs, things like that, just the way that she described it, that made me, yeah, that made, like allowed me to have the language I needed to communicate what the physical experience is like. What was um, dating for you like before you were open about your illness? Were you open with the people that you dated or did you date at all when you were like sick before you were open about it? Yeah, totally. Um, You know, I had one major relationship in college and that was pretty much the majority of my four years at school. Um, And so I went through a lot of health issues then and we went through it together kind of, but I wasn't, it's hard to say if I was open about it or not, just in terms of like, I didn't know what was happening. You know, neither of us really knew what was happening. Um, and I guess after that, there really hasn't been a significant relationship until now. And during the interim, it was just like a lot of, or, you know, people that, relationships that were kind of like getting to the point where it's like okay we need to make a commitment and I just always felt shit like I can't even take care of myself how am I gonna be there for another person at the capacity that they deserve and so it I just kind of and I didn't do a good job of communicating at that time you know I've learned a lot since then but I just kind of like would pull away or you know, would end up getting out of these situations. That's kind of, yeah. So um, how did you, so it sounds like you kind of went through like a little bit of like a journey, um, kind of learning about like mindfulness and coming to a place of um, self-acceptance and stuff where you felt like you could be in a relationship and you didn't feel any more like that feeling like you were talking about, like, you know, that you have to be, it, it sounds like, like, kind of similar to me like you felt like you had to be like healthy to be in a committed relationship yes i Um, needed to be at this level in order to do that yeah yeah so how did how did you get to that place what what did you do and kind of talk about that you're wondering about the mindfulness journey and the relationship journey right yeah so i just want to you can kind of talk about it sequentially because I know there was kind of probably a point before you got into, I want to talk about the relationship, but I want to get there. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of about like what you did within yourself to get to that place, you know, and what was the work to get there? When I, when I think back on mindfulness, I realized that it began actually at that kind of same point that I was talking about earlier about, failing kindergarten and realizing I'm different and being aware of that, like that already brought a level of mindfulness um, that allowed me to think about things and also seek out outlets like drumming, for instance, or filmmaking or snowboarding, these like outlets that are both creative and physical in nature. I think they connect your mind and body and they allow you to be fully present. Whatever you want to call that state, a flow state, you know, whether you're meditating or you're just you know, painting, or you're focusing on whatever you're eating at the moment, just the, the mindful state where you're, you're kind of thinking about everything, but nothing at the same time. But when did you learn, like, what these words were, you know, right. like, I didn't know that, right? <laughs> I would say right. about a, a year or two ago, like, it's been relatively short in terms of my period of time of being aware of this 
what I truly believe is a skill set and a mindset that can be cultivated. Being aware of it on the level that I'm recognizing it and communicating it with words. And then also like actively seeking out things to help me deepen my understanding of that, whether it's readings or meditations or various things. So basically, um, I think it started when I started becoming aware of it. You know, I made, I came out to a bunch of people, told everyone about my disease in like September, two years ago. This September will be three years ago. And at that time, like, I just made a commitment to myself to just totally be open and honest and transparent and share the true realities of everything and what it's like through through my Instagram. You know, like, I was done hiding anything. And I just started putting it out there, not really thinking much of it. And the feedback was just so... Um, phenomenal and inspiring and it was just I was overwhelmed with gratitude when I was receiving all these messages from people who felt so inspired and um, wanted to do more and realize that you know you could live in a mindful state and overpower your physical symptoms right Um, I wasn't aware of it at the time so when these people are like saying this back to me like wow this is insane how you do that to me it's just second it's second nature I've been doing it for years you know so this feedback starting to come come at me and I was like wow this this seems to actually be something interesting like a skill set or something that I've actually cultivated that other people have too like it was also around the same time where I was pretty new to LA and I was really um focused on connecting to community um diverse communities and like getting engaged with groups of people I thought that was a great way to establish myself in a support system in LA so that established my community in LA shortly after I had announced to people on social media all my friends all my family everyone in my life that I've been struggling with chronic illness for over eight years that I'm currently you know treating and struggling and um you know got the community then the mindfulness meditation was like oh so this is meditation I guess I'm not sure whatever it is it's really sick and the Tai Chi, I was like committed to it. And I was going on a lot of runs and like getting really involved with this community and they were pushing me. Um, I was also putting my work aside and beginning to commit full time to focusing on my health and accepting myself um, and resting, you know? So I would be in like, I, I would go from first to eighth gear. Like either I'd be resting and completely crashing and herxing, you know, or I'd be like, they'd be convincing me to prepare for a marathon and I'd be preparing for a marathon, you know, and mentally it was amazing because I could override my physical symptoms. I would pretty much herx while I ran, but it would feel so good mentally. And it would just remind me of feeling invigorated and accomplished and that like, um, that I could do this, you know, the reality was into one of those things where it was like, you feel like you can only be like, it's, I mean, it seems like it's that same pattern, but just in a different situation. Like you're still like, oh, I'm only like worthy if I'm pushing myself. Like I can't be worthy if I'm sitting on the couch and resting. Yeah, no, you're killing it. You're like cutting to my core right now and identifying like my main issue, one of my main issues, you know? Yeah, I think of it as extremes, you know? I've always been so extreme and kind of like, I think there's like a subconscious level that makes me feel like I have to make up for being sick probably. Yeah. And you I know, think it's and also have to overachieve and do even better. Yeah, exactly. And we do have to work harder in every sense because we are 
I think any like minority has to work harder to like prove themselves and stuff. And yeah. the culture, I think, with society too is like, I mean, we're taught like show up when you're si- like I used to dance as a kid. I don't know if it was like that for if you like played sports or anything, but it was like if you were the person who like played the game while you were sick, like you were um, applauded for that, you know? For sure. Honestly, what happened was I was fortunate enough to go see Dr. Klinghart and get a pretty serious protocol from him. And it involved, like, um, getting a pick line and doing IV antibiotics three times a day for a month. Um, three times a day of flagell for a month to kill this parasite. It was really gnarly. Like, it completely destroyed me. It depleted all of my physical ability. And since then, I have not been on a run. That's still the truth. That was, uh, this past March was a year yeah so it's been over a year um since i've had the pick line out like i started them at the beginning of february of last year so whether i liked it or not that sidelined me like i was just not able to do anything physically and i was at a really low point and um i feel like um like it didn't it didn't kill me but i lost my life to some extent and that ability to be out and achieving and doing things. So, so that was the big, that was a big turning point, you know, and I'm sure I could have fought that and been like, this sucks, this is boring. And, the, and, but I think it was a natural evolution of all the things I've touched on. And then the cherry on top of having that Tai Chi and that run club mindfulness, um, just like bringing it to the forefront of my awareness that I was just like full full in on like okay i really have to embrace this i have to learn to rest i have to you know rewire my brain so i could stay in the parasympathetic as long as possible to promote healing because my body is at war and it's just constantly getting into fight or flight yeah so that was the goal then and that was a big turning point so how did you get to a place where you were like um okay i am worthy enough as I am as a sick person to be in a relationship and I may not have things physically to give but like I can contribute in so many different ways did you have that moment of realization or how did you get to that point because I know you said you didn't feel like you had anything to give and then you kind of got to a place where you did right yeah yeah so you know that was about that was over a year ago in March and then since then like it was just a continuation of that process but with a lot more focus on it um and just like fully embracing that whole experience of accepting myself as i am learning to rest not having to overcompensate um you know cultivating and like tapping into my own happiness regardless of the conditions around me so I was doing that point. I wasn't dating. Not really. Like I went out on a couple dates, you know, but I wasn't dating. Um, and was it, was it difficult on those like dates when, cause I know the, fr- I mean, I literally asked you that as the first question, but um, I know the yeah. first question people always ask is like, what do you do? And for me, that was like always really difficult because at first I wouldn't even, I would just literally dodge the question and ask them, Oh, what do you do? But then, um, you know, but then I'd be like, Oh, I'm taking, 
time off for my health or whatever and then people will be Mm -hmm. like oh my god that's so nice good for you like that must be so relaxing to get to sleep in every day i'm like yes that's all i'm doing every day i'm putting cucumbers on my face painting my nails (laughs) spa day every day so did you come across any of those struggles trying to like meet people romantically when you were kind of taking time off and when you were going through this health stuff yeah for sure i mean yeah even on any first date you know it's i mean it's different for everybody battling chronic illness depending on what level they're at and how severe it is but like going out in public doing activities engaging with just lots of activity around you can be very challenging and overwhelming uh you know we spend so much of our time trying to control these elements to promote our health and then we get out in the world and there's like so much noise like what if you're noise sensitive or light sensitive and you have all sorts of food i mean all those what ifs can be that's how anxiety starts you know you keep talking all these what ifs right so i would have to just like i think it it's very understandable that people have those experiences i would just shut them down right away and basically put the expectations at zero and i would even tell the people who i was going out with this (laughs) you know like let's just assume this is going to be miserable like and whatever happens will be a pleasant surprise, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'll be able to, like, make it to this show or we could, you know, I mean. So would you try to, like, make the dates accessible to you? Yeah, as best you can, right? Like, even to the point of, like, I would prepare a lot of food and have that in my car because, like, I need to eat every, like, hour or two. Otherwise, I just, like, shrivel away, you know. So the idea of going out on a date, even if it's over an hour, is like, well, fuck, what am I going to eat? So I would make my own food, you know. I mean... It pretty much just didn't really work out, though, like, and I think just because I wasn't in a place where I could, like, really commit to that and understood how to balance, like, achieving that parasympathetic state and then also going and doing things, like, once again, such extremes. I would go out on these dates and, like, I would have, like, so much energy and be willing to, like, do so much more than I usually would. That's actually always easier for me to kick it into gear. Yeah, because you have that social interaction. I, f- I feel like it's there's like science that shows like when you have that social interaction, you're able to kind of, like you said, kick it up. But then it's like you have, you know, a day or like a week later in bed or, you know, to recover. Right. The recovery time is so much right, worse. Right. Sure, I could go out <laughs> and have one crazy night, but then it requires a week of rest for me to get back to my already shitty baseline. <laughs> so you kind of got more okay with yourself because you you know went through this process of meditation and things like that and um Mm. and then you met your current girlfriend um and you were more in that in like a better headspace yeah i think it's undeniable that's the case i don't know if i was aware of it though like neither of us were even looking for a relationship and we're both pretty much playing dating apps like in terms of like I kept it in my entertainment folder and she calls it playing hinge like (laughs) it was an activity to do to kill time it wasn't like we're looking for a relationship and we're gonna meet them on hinge you know especially given the LA dating scene and everything we've talked about it's just there that perception that you kind of have that's here for sure so there's a lot of people who aren't down to earth and aren't able to be open or honest and are very image-based I mean that's here you know it's LA there's a lot of that so I don't think either of us were even looking for something and we connect and 
on hinge and just start chatting this is almost a year ago like back in september um and it was just just an immediate connection which seems especially strange to me because it's digital like i do not like texting and communicating digitally until i've had a chance to communicate like face to face i feel like my sense of humor and like what i say just gets lost you know and it just feels not authentic to me yeah it's always like you it's those like risky texts like are they gonna get my sarcasm or not (laughs) right yeah yeah and you're like "Hmm, maybe i should send it maybe i should maybe i should yeah (laughs) you text three friends to console oh my god the screenshots (laughs) yeah yeah so it actually wasn't like that at all i both of us just were like here's the deal take it or leave it like i think within very early on before we even had like a significant conversation i texted like hey here's the deal i'm chronically ill like i just laid it all out and was just like this is me like take it or leave it you know either because i was sick of like trying to talk to people and trying to understand it and i mean you know it's did you feel relieved because the first time i like actually someone asked how are you and the first time i decided when I decided to be open, the first time I was open, yeah, like I, because people would ask how you are and I would immediately deflect the question. And so I, Mm -hmm. I, I told them like, and I started telling them like what my day to day actually was like. And Mm -hmm. it was the first actual genuine connection I felt like I'd had in so long. And I felt so much less exhausted afterwards because I realized hiding my, because you're not carrying that burden and hiding your illness is exhausting. Cause like you said, there's, yeah, there's energy to like, you have to like plan in your head. Okay. If like, what if they want to get a drink or what if they want to go to this restaurant or like, I have to take this kind of medicine ahead of time. Yeah. yeah. Or like, if you're not telling them, you have to think like, okay, like what's the excuse I'm going to give and how am I going to thwart that situation? Yes, my my brother only has so many toes. So, did you feel relief? For sure. I mean, I felt that sense of relief when I, the September before, when I just came out publicly about talking about it. Huge, and not to carry that burden around and take all the energy that it requires to hide it, or I guess you could view it as trying to control how people perceive you. Like, that's what it is, you know. And I just learned to completely let go of that. I'm not worried about anybody judging me. I'm not worried about how anyone perceives me. You know, I mean, it's a process and I'm, it's probably, there's an, like an aspect of the talk and the walk. Like I'm saying this, you know, and of course, like I do care, but from a young age, I learned I'm on my own time frame and path and journey and it's not worth comparing it to anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a, hard lesson for me to learn um as well and I think that's something that worked for you when I left college I really really struggled um and I was always trying to because I felt like I was chasing something that wasn't um real which was getting Mm -hmm. better because I was like no one gets better and I just wanted to get back to school I was like f this you know I was like if I had my legs cut off in an accident I wouldn't be trying to like regrow my legs I'd just be like how do I live my life with no legs and um yeah (laughs) yeah, but it it sounds all like inspirational but in the reality what I was Mm -hmm. doing is I was just trying to push past everything and I was just failing because that I was just pushing and pushing and it wasn't yeah it wasn't working and so um so I was yeah I was really frustrated and um I um, yeah, because I realized how much I had garnered myself worth from like school and from yes. being on that path and I didn't have anything anymore. So I felt super, mm-hmm. um, lost. And then 
kind of like you, I was like, okay, well now my new goal is recovery. And so I started doing okay. um, like the Gupta amygdala retraining program. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's like, mm. have you heard of DNRS, dynamic neural retraining? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that, but um, there's another version of it. And so I started cool. doing that, which is how I like learned about meditation and stuff. And I started going to therapy too. But yeah, I, came, I became kind of like obsessive about Gupta too in the same way of like, oh, like I have to do this and this and this and this. And like, it was still that like accomplishment thing. And I would feel guilty whenever I was like doing anything else, like dating or, um, or literally anything working on stuff. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm not giving a hundred percent to healing. And so I was always yeah. very, a, a very black and white person. And I thought I, I wanted to go to med school for a while. And I was like, I have to be a hundred percent better before I can work and before I can be in a relationship. Right. And so it just came over time kind of working on that, like, not that having that black and white thinking I was like okay so I can just do things if I go about things differently like I can take like one class at community college and right. um you know and I can do like one class at a time at UT and finish my degree and I can do I I never wanted to I hate online stuff and I was like I never want to work online I want in person but it's like it's like you make the best of the way that things are it's like you meet yourself where you that's are. what it is you're making the best of how things are not how you want them to be exactly like you can't fight reality and so you meet yourself right. where you are and then you actually end up being happier because you're just like mm -hmm. you're you know you're being present and you're like focusing on like right now and i don't know so yeah that's kind of how i that's so cool and powerful <laughs> and we had this similar realization right and then i had the realization it sounds like you had it with i don't know how to pronounce it gupta okay, with this, like, neuro, you know, brain rewiring yeah. situation, um, but where you realize, like, oh, I'm not the first one who's figured this shit out. <laughs> like, people have known about this and practiced it and spread it and cultivated it for eons, yeah. you know, mindfulness and living in this way where you're accepting what is as opposed to what you want it to be. Absolutely. Unlike you, though, I was very skeptical because I'm just a very mistrusting person and especially with like all of the okay. all of the doctors and stuff. And so I, w I was of like, of course, they erode your whole trust and belief in the medical system. Yeah. And so I was very much that person where because I felt like if I pursued like non-traditional routes, I wouldn't be like believed as much. So I was like, everything I did, I was like, I need to see like the research study behind it, even if it was like mm -hmm. alternative. So I was very resistant to doing that Gupta Migdalu training program as resistant to meditating right. everything. So I love that you just like came at things with such an open mind. Yeah, but either way, you got to go through that adopt adaption or adoption period. It's interesting to me, like, what you're saying i wrote it down that this meditation now uh just replaced what you were working on like you took the same approach and okay i just need to do this and you got really committed to it and focused on it that you have to you know these other things but that the result hasn't really benefited you and you learned how to switch the behavior that you're doing you know like you have you have a certain cue or a thing that inspire that brings up these negative feelings and then it's kind of the key thing I wanted people to realize, you know, it's like you can't control the problems that life presents, you know, um, you can only control how you respond. So, well, it's like, you know, this is the situation. And instead of responding by pushing back, you responded by accepting it, embracing it, you know, and, and the result on the other side is such a deeper level of acceptance and happiness. Absolutely. And I think um, going off that point of like, 
I just like replace the behavior. I think that's really common. Um, a therapist told me once, like how you do something is how you do everything. And I think that mm. I found that to be like really true in my life unless, so it's not really about like the same thing as like, you can't just like move away and your problems will go away. Like you have to change the pattern. Same, of, same concept. Yeah. You have to change yeah. the behavior pattern. And then, you know, it's not about the, what the, whatever, like the thing you're doing is it's like what's behind it. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, so going back to, um, your relationship, so you guys yes. met on hinge and what was your first date? <laughs> well, okay. So first of all, we talked for, um, a solid amount of time before actually meeting in person, which was kind of a huge bummer to me. You know, like <laughs> I said earlier, it was something that I didn't necessarily want to do or feel comfortable with, but we just couldn't stop talking to each other. And especially the more we were opening up to each other, even through text, which pretty quickly became like a FaceTime. Like I was like, let's FaceTime as soon as we can. <laughs> you know, I was trying to hold back. Making sure you're not getting cool. catfished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, she was equally as excited. So we FaceTimed and got that that connection and just had some really like deep, incredible, meaningful talks, just connecting on a very deep level because of how open and vulnerable we had already been and laying it out from the start. Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. It strips away all those like surface level resume things that you were talking about that people view who you are as, you know, oh, you do this, you work that job, you live here. You know, None of that is really who you are. You know, and what was her so, response to when you opened up about your story? Incredible. You know, the more I opened to her, the more she opened to me. It's just been a continuous process. Yeah. She received it so well. And I don't I don't think I've ever really had that kind of reception. So immediately from the start, it was just like, wow, this is something really deep and meaningful. And I'm all about this. Like I had such a strong feeling from the start, just like game over. Like, I don't care about dating or seeing anyone else like this is everything you know what was her actual like what did she say like when you were like hey i have like you know chronic lyme disease or whatever like what did did she ask more about it or was she just like okay like not really see like a lot of people who i had opened up to prior to that did ask a lot more and she just kind of just accepted it and was just like okay well you know nothing needs to be difficult like i remember her saying that so early on and i was just like wow she has a very similar perspective to me, you know, on his living life like that. Yeah. And when you guys, so when you guys met up for the first time, like, did you have to kind of like ask, like back to that, like, you know, asking people yeah. to be like accommodating and stuff. Like, I mean, we were ready to do a date and we were trying to make it happen for a while. Um, she lived in Long Beach, which is where I live now with her, which is like kind of outside of LA. Um, and even though it's really not that far, it felt like it was a distance thing. Like we never just, and I think part of it was because of my side being like, well, I just don't have the energy to go on a date or go to Long Beach or really do anything. I've, I was kind of coming out of a bedridden state, you know? So we had planned to do a date and I was just like really open with her. Like, Hey, I don't even know if I'll be able to, to go out. Let's just keep in touch throughout the day as like, it progresses. I'm going to do my best to gather some energy. Like as I communicated these things, like, Hey, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to go out tonight. Her response was so supportive. And that's fine. Like, I'll just come over, you know, she's like, I'll just come over. And we had never met before, which, you know, could be seen as like kind of sus <laughs> first date going to, you know, the dude's apartment, you know? So, um, so she was like, I'll just come over. I was like, okay, fine. And I was like, so excited. I was bedridden though. Like I was, in bed all day trying to gather energy and then I was like all right go time and I w went out and like 
under an hour, which is insane with the LA traffic. I was able to go to the grocery store, stock up on a ton of groceries in case one or both of us were hungry. I could cook it up. I stopped at Moon Juice and got us like adaptogenic drinks, you know, <laughs> which help with your stress and is like wellness shit that I need anyway. And then I went to a Mexican party store in my neighborhood in Koreatown. She, um, she's a fashion designer, right? And she had picked up this side gig of styling at Bloomingdale's. Ooh, and not to flex or won, anything. <laughs> not to flex, but she won the, um, she was deemed the best stylist across all the Bloomingdale's in the country <laughs> that day that we went to do this first date. Like she got the award. So I was like, okay, I'm going to set up like a dope celebration for her. Obviously it wasn't, okay, we're going to go out, have yeah. a great night. Like, but you adapted. But so you met yourself where you were and you did what you could do and you had a great time. Exactly. Like literally I walked there, you know, I did all that driving, which is really difficult when you have brain fog and everything, got home. And then I was able to walk. Well, I pretty much ran to the party store, <laughs> <laughs> which is like a couple of blocks down. And I got her like this little plastic hairstyling kit for like little five-year-old girls oh and um, like a big party popper and a bunch of fake money. And I made this little gift, like keep in mind, I'd never met her before. Right. That's awesome. So this is our first date. And then I get home and I'm like, okay, shit, I got to like do the sauna, meditate, do yoga, shower, and be ready. <laughs> All in like, you know. Yeah, and you got to pick your shit up off the floor. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so dove into all that stuff, banged it out. And by the time she got there, I was just like, definitely not ready. I had just gotten out of the shower and I like didn't even have clothes on. And she was like, I'm here. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> you know? So. When people text you, like when people ask, like, are you almost here? And you're like, yeah, I'll be there in three minutes as you're like in the shower. <laughs> that type <laughs> yeah. of vibe. Yeah. I feel like there could be so many memes about that and the amount of stuff that then happens in three minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I hustled and got ready and I had the present set up and the food and the moon juice, the adaptogenic drinks, everything set, but also ready to literally not leave my bed at all. <laughs> and... She showed up. I was like, oh, shit. And she was just full arms open, fully accepting and embracing it from the start. Just like, don't worry. Like, don't rush. Like, no stress. We don't have to go out. You know, I'm just happy to be with you. Like, um, and we just had, like, the most amazing night, you know, celebrating. Like, I gave her that gift, and we celebrated her styling award. And basically just, like, laid in my bed and talked, you know, for the whole night. And it was, like, phenomenal you know um and yeah it was just like that was date one okay date number two um i was playing a show in the arts district near downtown la with this group called nico uh in this really sick like warehouse type venue uh and she wanted to come out to my show oh wait no i totally mixed this up wow what I just described was date number two. Oh my God, is she over there? Is she over there like rolling yeah, her eyes? Yeah, like how'd you I mean, forget our first date? <laughs> no, she's loving it. She's loving it. <laughs> but, okay. That was our second, that was our first date. But the first time we ever met was actually before that. So I had met her briefly, very briefly. Basically what happened was like, I was playing a show that she said she would like, bring come to bring some friends to and this is our first time meet her at, after talking forever and groupies <laughs> you have no idea like 
I had just finished sound check and I was like, oh, this is so stress. Like I need to go get in my Zen state. I need to catch some air and like do some Tai Chi. And right when I walk outside, there's like this huge van that pulls up and she hops out of it, followed by like this whole crew of girls. And it was so overwhelming. She like stunned me. Did you know she was going to come? Yeah, but not with a huge squad in a van. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and just looking so beautiful and like mesmerizing. I mean, it literally sounds so cheesy but it literally took my breath away like i was just like and right away she's just like oh my god jake i was like yeah and she just runs up and jumps on me and i was like oh my god i didn't know what to say i was so overwhelmed she's and she's just like okay wow we were both just like wow wow we were just in shock at how attractive each other and just how incredible of a moment it was and then she's like okay i'm gonna go in with the with the girls because all the girls were like not down with me yet and they were like who is this guy like let's go see the show yeah so yeah, they mo- they go into the show and on stage it was a really incredible experience. Um, like I said, going back to that flow state, like I love that because you can think about you- everything but nothing at the same time, and it's such an energetic thing. But my favorite part about music is extending that to other people. I care about performing live because it's an experience where you can then bring other people into that flow state you know and so I've always enjoyed that and when I perform I love venues where I could actually see audience members especially the ones who I want to connect with and like play to them and with them and you know create this experience together so you felt bonded to her after that yeah well she came right up front with all her friends and they were all just like having a blast like literally made the show energetic and fun because the rest of the crowd was just like kind of dull um and they were just like on one just dancing and loving it and i was playing right to her like eyes locked and like we would you know lock eyes and then i'd do something and watch her reaction or see how her body moved and like it was just amazing and afterwards i was so overwhelmed by her again i come out and she's like oh my god you know a quick congratulations a hug and then she's like okay the girls want to go like we got to go and i was like wait like and i was just like how did he see it how did it even go down? I'm pretty sure I just lunged at her <laughs> to give her a kiss. Like, like just lunged at And then as it was happening, realized like, oh shit, that was probably too much. And like tried to pull back and ended up in like a really half-ass kiss where we like barely touched, you know? <laughs> and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so <laughs> She's like, nah, I'm into it. And I was like, damn, okay. My heart's racing right now just thinking about that moment. It was, <laughs> it was really exciting, you know? That's so cute. Um, So that was the first time we had ever met. And then it was like, we really need to do a date. And, you know, I wasn't up to it energy wise. And she ended up coming over. And so we had that night where we just laid in bed and got to know each other. And it was just like, even from that point, it was like, yeah, like, this is something so special that neither of us have ever experienced. And yeah, you know. So how long after that um, did you kind of make it decide that you wanted it to be serious? Like so quick. I mean that show was pretty much right before thanksgiving the following week i had another show and she came to that um which my dad happened to come to he happened to be out in la like meeting up with some buddies and he flew in just for in time for it so it created this situation where i don't know how far in we were maybe a week or two after our first date my dad was flying into town and they had an opportunity to meet i feel like your significant other meeting the family is a very Like, it's a milestone, you know, that kind of solidifies the strength or the level at which. um, And she was just all about it. She's like, yeah, I can't wait to meet him. And 
of course they met at the show but it was a little hectic and crazy but after the show we all went out to dinner like my dad took my friends and I out with her and it was just so cool you know and felt like it pushed our relationship along very quickly um a couple I think two days after that like I flew home for Thanksgiving with my dad um and I was basically telling everybody in my family about her as if we were already dating you know I was just I couldn't stop talking about her I was so excited and I was like she's so different the issue was it was a little boy who cried wolf because I had done that in the past for like anyone I've ever met like you know I'm just that type of person who I just like see the best in people and I love them so I can't even tell you how many times I've been like no like she's the one so your family was like okay like (laughs) my sister's like shut up like you're not even dating yet she's not even your girlfriend yeah and I was like fuck like I want her to be (laughs) you know so I got back a couple days later when I landed in LA the plan was she was going to pick me up at baggage claim and we were going to get to hang out we were so excited little did I know she was setting up to surprise me where um you come down from the escalator with this huge sign that says well, welcome back from prison Jake yeah oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and all these other people like pedestrians at the airport were kind of in on it and must have been talking with her because like I come down I'm like oh my god like I was like kind of in shock and everybody else around her started cheering they're like yeah welcome back (laughs) (laughs) and I ran up to her and I picked her up and like kissed her and we embraced and everyone was cheering it was literally a movie scene still hadn't been dating yet at this point (laughs) (laughs) so when did you she's met my dad make it official the next morning oh my god or maybe like probably that night like I think I waited as long as I could I wanted to wait like but at some point in that night or the next morning, I definitely just like blurted out like, I want you to be my girlfriend. So did chronic illness come into that conversation uh, with like when you were talking about commitment Did chronic illness come into that conversation at all? Um, like, did you feel like you needed that like val- validation from her? Like, you know, because I'll always be like, oh, but like I have like this and this and this. Is that OK? Like, did you feel like you have to do that or was it just unspoken or? No, it was, it was, it's a great question. And I think a lot of people going into new relationships worry about it. It was definitely spoken. Yeah, but I was still hesitant, like in terms of my belief in having a successful committed relationship. Like I still kind of thought like, I don't know if I'm capable of that. And she just told, she just said, no, that's not true. Like you are, nothing needs to be difficult. This shouldn't be draining or difficult. Like this is a relationship a partnership it's additive to each other nothing we do needs to be difficult or like we had those conversations really early on before i blurted out will you be my girlfriend tune in next episode to hear how jake and jess's relationship has progressed since he asked her to be his girlfriend you don't want to miss out on hearing about their son nard their decision to move in together how they keep each other safe when it comes to intimacy and so much more If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe for more. Check out our Insta at Spooning with Spoonies pod and share with your Spoonie or non-Spoonie friends. This episode was edited by my amazing friend, Sarah Rosa Davies.